Welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast. The Wesleyan Podcast. Bringing you news and financial tips for doctors, dentists, teachers and lawyers. Hello, I'm Neil Whelan and welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast. I'm joined again by Pippa Thackeray, our Senior Communications Manager for the second part of our International Men's Day podcasts. Welcome back to the studio, Pippa. Thanks, Neil. So, what have you got in store for us today? So today we're going to hear from three of our colleagues uh, about their experiences of fatherhood, family and work. Um, In particular, we're going to be exploring some themes including fostering, adoption and the realities of being a single dad. The first person you're speaking to is Paul Owen, our Employee Engagement Manager, who spent 22 years in the RAF. That's right. But as you can imagine, with a career like that, away from home a lot as well, I mean, he spent time in the Falklands, I think, didn't he, as well, and all all over the world, it does take its toll on your family. So, um, yeah, let's see what he had to say. In 22 years, I moved um, about 15 different times. Um, a lot of the time I was single, so the moving wasn't so much of a bit of an issue, so it was quite nice to visit the world and see different places. Um, it became more challenging when I um, got married. Um, it's a bit harder to settle down then and get into a nice routine, so that was one of the factors why I ended up leaving, actually. Before the kids came along, um, as a married couple, travel was great because we were both set our sights that we wanted to be together and travel together. So wherever I had the opportunity to go to another country or another location, we would travel together and we'd set up in that area, so that was great. Um, as soon as the kids came along, it was a different ball game. You know, it's we want you, your priorities change. Travelling isn't so much of a focus, uh, and that was the main catalyst. So um, I had Jack in 2010, and about six weeks after Jack was born, I was sent to the Falkland Islands for about four months. Um, now, when you go there, you go without your family, and it's a very difficult to take a, a seven-week-old baby out to the Falklands Islands anyway. So I think that was the real catalyst to me to go, this isn't working anymore for me as a person. Um, as much as I loved my job, I loved everything about the career. Being away from your young son and your, and your wife for that amount of time was, was just too difficult mm. for me to have. Um, on a long-term basis. Yeah. And then a couple of years later, you had your daughter. Yep. Megan came along and changed the world forever. And I'm sure she'll be famous at some point for doing that. Um, But that really cemented it. You know, you've got a nice little stable upbringing where I've got my family um, who I want to go home to every night. I want to be able to spend weekends with them without having that short-notice job that comes in that means you spend your weekends away. So... I made a really tough decision actually that I loved my career, um, It was I was going well, I was promoted, I had lots of different jobs, um, there was options for more promotions in the future, but it just wasn't working. Mm. So I, I did quite a brave thing and I handed my notice in to the military with nothing else to go to. Um, not so brave in that I gave them three years notice to do it. So I decided to take that three years to really prepare myself to leave and to be mm the sort of Paul that works at Wesleyan effectively rather than the Paul that wears uniform and and shouts at people which you wouldn't think I would do anyway Um, so I use that time quite wisely to prepare myself. But you do hear about people making that transition from working in the military Um, is it such a big step as as you hear? Yeah it's it's massively different there's there's no way of getting around it Um, you learn a lot of fantastic skills in the military life about discipline about standards about self-respect and about respecting others and and the way of working is really really 
good so that does cross over to be you know a fantastic person to have as an employee um, and don't get me wrong I would hire any ex-military person within a heartbeat because they've got some really great characteristics but it is just such a different lifestyle you, you know there's that institutionalization that you get in the military um, when it becomes really difficult so that three-year period that I gave notice I became quite selfish from a military perspective and, and focused on the pool I wanted to be outside of military. So I, I created a strong network of local um, businesses where I'd go and talk to people and find out how they did work. Um, you know, how you do HR, for example, in the military is different to how you do it in, in a civilian environment. So I think that was really important to understand the differences and that helped my transition. So as um, Wesleyan's employee engagement manager, Paul, I know you're really passionate about helping to make sure that this is a brilliant place to work. How good are we doing that? How good are we uh, making that experience that we, as we could do? Um, I think we're doing really well. You know, we've got a platform where we have managers, colleagues who are here to support each other and you get that feeling around Wesley and when you talk to people we really do care and I think that's the key. Um, when I talk to people in other organisations it doesn't feel the same, the culture's not the same from what I can gather where there's not the openness so I think my, my top tip would really actually just to talk mm. um, be open with your manager, with your colleagues about how you're feeling, about work-life balance, about pressures at home um, if you don't do that, if you keep it to yourself, no one will ever give you the little bit of help that you need at the time you need it. So being open, being truthful to yourself, being truthful to your partner. You know, there are times where you just actually, you just can't be there for an event back home because there's something happening in work. Uh, and that feeling actually, I'm not here in work because I don't want to be at home with my family. It's because I care about my job and that makes you who you are. Mm. So that transparency and openness, I think, is really, really important. Thanks so much to Paul for his story. Next up is Rob Barnsley, Wesleyan's Talent and Leadership Development Consultant. Now, a few years ago, he adopted two children with his husband. Uh, Another interesting story. So let's hear him and Pip chat about it. I have always, always, always wanted kids, actually, from from when I was when I was really young um, any any aunts or uncles that had babies etc for some reason I was just enthralled by them and straight in there um, wanting to for some unknown reason change nappies and <laughs> and hold them and kind of rock them to sleep etc so it was kind of ingrained in me from an early age um, obviously as I grew older and kind of started to understand my uh, sexual orientation a bit more um kind of appeared as if there were doors were closing and it was never gonna never gonna happen um obviously as as time went on though and kind of the laws changed etc i think it was 2005 um uh, the, the the laws changed so that uh, gay people could adopt um it was kind of something to, to start considering um me and my then husband um who was also in a, in a similar position to, to wanting kids, kind of started to investigate it. Um, f- the first thing we kind of looked at was that whole the whole surrogacy, surrogacy side. Um, you know, this this idea of having something that's half yours, um, or you've got your kind of your genes in and carrying on the, the family bloodline, etc. Was the was the, the the kind of the first option that, that we looked at. Obviously, in that situation, it could only be one of you if you were going to go down that route. Um, and we, whilst doing the research for that, 
looked at the costs of it, huge, huge cost implications. Um, we kind of stumbled upon the, upon the, um, the adoption route. Um, there was a great charity organisation at the time called New Family Social um, who were obviously quite new on the scene looking at helping and supporting LGBT potential and adopters um, through the process so we kind of went to one of those meetings and you know it, you, you just kind of look and see what's, what's going on and how many kids there are that are in a position where they're just looking for a forever home and, and someone to love them and look after them and at that point, it just became an, a no-brainer. Um, and you know, thinking about it logically at the time, all that money that could have been ploughed into the surrogacy route could be kind of the the money that would go towards our our family. Um, so, so we went for the for the adoption side of things. What was it like that first time when you met your kids? First time I met the kids, um, so it, it's a very strange process. Um, so it was kind of two years in the making to actually get from first inquiry to actually meeting them. Um, numerous social worker visits where the social worker gets to know the potential adopters, asks all sorts of quite invasive questions. Again, still at a time when LGBT adopters were quite new. Um, we were very lucky. Um, our social work was amazing um, and kind of really bought into it and saw the the value that LGBT people could have to the adoption process and kind of get their numbers down because it was quite quite focused obviously on the, the, the heterosexual couple side of things um, and couples even more so than, than single people. Um, so that was kind of nine months worth of stuff. Then you went to panel um, and... Um, this kind of panel of people deciding whether you're fit enough to be um, a parent. Did that and then you go through what's the matching process and then that took another nine or so months and during this time all you're looking at is um, profiles of children, what's kind of happened to them at their start of their beginning of their life um, and then you kind of inquire further social workers kind of get together and decide whether again it could be a potential match yes or no sometimes it's geographical you're too close to the biological parents etc many many different reasons um, it's it's quite um, it's quite cold in a way there's um there's kind of magazines that literally have pages and pages and pages full of kids with their stories and pictures of them and it's just heartbreaking you want to you want to kind of help all of them. So anyway, you go through that process, and then, so finally, after a couple of full starts um, with some other children, um, uh, Connor and Cameron kind of popped up on the scene, um, and you learn all about them, you meet the foster carer, you meet their social worker. Um, the boys were from up north, so they weren't even from Birmingham, so that's kind of how, how far afield we had to go. Um, and literally you don't meet the boys, you see photos of them, you then go to another panel which decides whether you're actually a match and then they decide you're going to meet them. So you know, almost two years after, after starting, literally pull up at a house just outside of Hull and two little boys' faces peeking out of the, uh, out of the, the living room window um, shouting there's dad and daddy um, and you kind of walk in and kind of just enveloped by this 
this love, you know, these kids that are, that are finally getting the the forever family that they that they were promised. Um, so yeah, it's very uh, very emotional. Um, obviously, trying to be strong at the same time, but it just kind of just well, these are these are my children. It was just perfect. They are the perfect match. Um, however much trouble they are, they are they are the perfect the perfect match. So uh, just amazing, really. So that was six years ago that you um, adopted mm-hmm. your children and um, obviously an awful lot's happened in that time mm-hmm. and um, one of those things was that you and your husband decided to separate. Yep. Uh, so you're now one of the real minority of single dads in the UK. What is life like as a, as a single dad and does it throw up any extra challenges for you? Um, I think... Uh, I think I think similar to whether it's single um, heterosexual mum, uh, anyone that's kind of goes through it um, understands or knows how challenging it is. Um, there's again, like anything in life, there's nothing better than people working as a team. Um, so I, I've got the most amazing support around me, the amazing best friends, amazing work colleagues, amazing boss, uh, amazing family who do everything they can to kind of help support. Um, it, it, it is a challenge, um, like most working people with, with kids kind of go through, you know. You have to get to work on time, but you also have to get the kids to, to school on time. You have to do all your work, finish your work, go and get the kids from school and then carry on kind of in the evening. Um, you know, and it, it, it's... it's, it's it's, I think the challenge comes from um, I mean the boys are getting older now so there's that kind of there is that ability to be able to pop to the shop um, but kind of over, uh, up to this point you know it's literally been when you're on your own you can't just say I'm going out for five minutes to pop to the local shop because there's no one there to, to kind of leave them with so that's that's kind of what I found the most challenging was that if, if, if you'd forgotten something or you needed something it was a case of packing everybody up you know obviously or wait till the next day but if it was early enough pack it, pack them up again into the car go and do the shop or whatever and then, and then come back so it's those kind of spur of the moment things that are quite quite governed by the fact that it's, it's just you um, but you know apart, apart from that it's, it's, it's still amazing I still I still do the the, the kind of the, the can't believe it when you, know, you look around the house and there's the photos of you and the boys and all the things you've done it kind of makes it makes it all worth worthwhile and you know not exactly how the forever family that are planned but ultimately what is best for the boys and myself so it's you know there's the sad part of it but um, but uh, you know it, it's the right the right thing um, and anyone that goes through divorce separation knows that there's varying different different kind of outcomes of that um, everything I do I do for the boys what support do you get from um, Wesleyan to help you balance work and life um, work's been great uh, starting off uh, I can't kind of um, big up my boss and my kind of my uh, my, my area that I work in so um, my role's great because it does give me that degree of flexibility so um, if, if there's a need for that Christie's absolutely amazing um, you know, get your work done but also you can kind of flex how you, how you do that um, 
through work as well um, and EAP, so probably going back a few years ago now with um, the divorce side of things, there's a lot going on um, kind of at work as well, but I, I kind of used EAP um, uh, kind of from a mental health point of view. I needed a bit of support there. Um, I did CBT therapy through that. Um, so that was you know, all sorted out through, through work. Again, all the support that, that I needed was was kind of given there from a from a HR point of view as well. So uh, I can't, I can't, uh, I've got no complaints on that side of things. So. Thank you to Rob for sharing his story there. More than 65,000 children live with foster families across the UK and one of those families is Mike Osborne. Now Mike works in our IT department and he and his wife have been fostering children since 2009. Uh, I've spoken to him on video before and he has got some amazing stories to tell about the children he's looked after, um, how they impact with his own children and he sat down with Pippa to tell us more. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. (laughs) Happy to be involved. Um, So, tell me, how did you get into fostering? Uh, It all started actually about ten years ago, before our daughter was born. We we dipped our toes in the water and thought maybe we should do it. Uh, Then Poppy came along, so it all went on hold. We moved house a couple of times... And then Joseph, our eldest, who's now 24, he decided he was moving out and suddenly this nice big four-bedroom house had two empty bedrooms. So we thought, well, let's have a go. Wow. What did Poppy think about it? Uh, we, we did talk it through with her. Always consulted her because she is the most important one. And she says, oh, it'd be lovely. Can I have a sister? <laughs> it was her first reaction. <laughs> So tell us about um, the, the sort of placements that you get then. Do you have children for, for days, weeks, months? Uh, yes, on all counts. Um, I think the shortest was we had two sisters. Came to us about six o'clock in the evening and they were gone by eight the next morning. Uh, we had a little boy that came to us about 11 o'clock at night. He was gone by lunchtime the next morning. Equally, we had three sisters came to us for maybe a couple of weeks and they stayed ten months. Wow. Gosh. And what was that like? That was hectic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They didn't really know what being part of a family was. Mm. So they all had to learn uh, that actually there is a mum and a dad and we like each other, we talk to each other, we can share ourselves with everyone. Mm. And these kids just aren't used to it. Mm. So giving them a lot of structure, presumably. Yeah, they definitely structure is something that they, they just don't get. Mm. If they stayed with you 10, 11 months, you must have seen a difference, presumably, in them over that time. Yeah, absolutely. The, the three girls we had, uh, the eldest, when she came to us, um, she just wanted to be like Poppy and Poppy reads she's way off in you know, class, she's doing year 11 plus next year and this other little girl she'd hardly been to school I think she had something like a 45% attendance rate Goodness. when she came to us but she just wanted to be like Poppy said, right let's read a book yeah, oh, Poppy's reading Harry Potter, I want to read Harry Potter but you, you can see she couldn't Mm. She just couldn't read it, so we started her off. Why don't you? Nobody's going to shout at you. Nobody's going to think anything bad about you. 
just pick a book that you can read and learn to enjoy it and she built up and by the time she left actually she was reading Harry Potter she had a 98% attendance rate at school she won an award for being an ambassador to learning wow. in the school we got her into gosh and just the pride in her when she got this award I can do it I can do it it's amazing and, and that's I say that is our support mm. that's done that to her. And how did you feel um, going to that to see to see her accept that award? Then I mean that must have been a very proud moment for you too. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, even though I knew she was actually moving on from us within the next couple of weeks, I think it was after she got the award. But she didn't know I was going. She didn't know she was getting the award until she walked in and she looked at me very, very curious, you know, what are you doing here? <laughs> then she got the award and she was just so, so pleased that someone was there to be with her and support her through it. So what, what, what I find with, with a lot of the children that come in, um, they, they don't understand what being a family is about, as I said, but as much as that, they don't really have a stable father figure in their life. Um, a lot of them can be very, very nervous around mm. men, um, particularly in a lot of cases that the children have been abused mm. uh, physically, mentally, and sadly sexually as well. And it's nearly always the men that have been doing it, not necessarily the dads, but yeah. men around the family. So it's a little bit difficult at times to get them to open up and accept that yes I'm a man I'm not here to hurt you I'm here to help you um, there's a lot of cases where I can't do obviously personal care for mm. children at all not allowed mm. uh, but I can do a lot of the other stuff I can do homework with them I can help them and nurture them and yeah. hopefully get them to understand that not all men are evil. So what makes fostering worthwhile? Why do you continue to, to open up your house and your life? <coughs> uh, sometimes I think it's because we're mad. <laughs> um, but really it is to make a difference to these kids. Uh, we, we even looked at one point going down the adoption route. So well, we can't save them all. Maybe we'll just save one. But then we thought, no, actually, let's carry on mm. taking more in we're placementless at the moment it's just three of us uh, so how does Wesleyan help support your work-life balance because presumably you do need a, a degree of flexibility then yes <laughs> <laughs> no they've, they've been really good with with uh, the flexible working I, I do work from home one day a week anyway because obviously my commute's not short I'm coming in an hour or so on the train each way from Banbury um, but if something happens with one of the kids, then yeah, as long as I can balance it with the project managers and the work I've got going on, it's never a problem to be able to go back and work from home to help them out. Thanks to Mike there for sharing his story and giving us an insight into what it's like to be a foster father. So it's International Men's Day this week. Um, I think the temptation is to think that it, International Men's Day is a made-up thing where it just gives men an excuse to talk about football and cars and all sorts but it's actually really really important so Pippa what have you learned from all this? I guess one of the things that's really struck me is that we don't always hear that many stories from men about the challenges um, the highs and the lows that they have of, of family life 
Um, we do quite often hear in the media about challenges faced by, by single mums, um, some massive challenges, but we don't hear from the 10% of single dads. Um, so it's been an amazing opportunity to really hear from some of our colleagues um, about what it is really like to face some quite challenging experiences. Um, and it's also been great, actually, to see the support that they get from, from managers, from colleagues and peers across our company. Um, and it makes me feel really proud, actually, that we do support our people um, and really encourage them to come in and, and you know share what's going on outside of work because that really does make us the people that, that we are. And I'd agree with that because there's a lot of pressure on men to just quietly get on and do some really quite hard stuff when it comes to families and relationships and emotions and if, you know what we've learned from these three today and the many many more that we've spoken to in the business mm. is that you know the help is there mm. um, just ask for it it's not a sign of weakness yeah. asking for it and receiving it and you know we at Wesleyan and you know across the business community and the country at large want to help absolutely and I think actually by sharing the stories today if nothing else it's it sparked an opportunity to uh, to have a bit of a dialogue. So I really hope that we do have some people listening that um, you know maybe it has inspired to to open up and maybe share some of the challenges that they, that they might well be going through right now. And on that note, that is our show for this week. Thanks, Pippa, for co-hosting the podcast this week. You're very welcome, Neil. If you'd like to know more about Wesleyan, you can go to wesleyan.co.uk. We're also on Twitter at Wesleyan. We're on Instagram at Wesleyan underscore UK. And you can search for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. But that's it from Pippa and me this week. So until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.